Hi, everybody. This is Nick. Welcome to Nick Flanagan Weekly. We're back. Were we ever anywhere else? I, I don't know. Who is we? I don't know. It's me, I guess. And then it's, it's maybe also Andy Lloyd, who does the production. Check him out at uh, his house. He'll just be in his house. Everyone's in their house a lot of the time nowadays. And uh, you can find him. If you can find his house, that's where you can find Andy. And I am Nick Flanagan, and this is the podcast. And we have a guest today. I'm very excited about this particular guest. His name is Ryan McMahon. Ryan McMahon is an Anishinaabe uh, comedian and uh, activist, podcaster. He's done so much. He did New Faces. He's he's from uh, Canada. He's from Ontario. And uh, he is the host of a podcast called Red Man Laughing. He has an entire podcast network he's worked on called Indian and Indian and Cowboy. He's been involved in the Canada Land podcast network and he's just he's just a, a busy guy. And he's a really smart guy and he's very impressive to me not just because of his busyness and smartness but because both of those things combining. No, I just, I, I'm really impressed at the amount that he gets done. And it, we actually, this was our second, uh, chat. The first one was, uh, last year before COVID. And obviously it was last year. It was just when COVID was being developed in the lab. No, I'm just kidding. It was when COVID was just running rampant amongst animals that are yet to be completely determined. Anyway, I talked to Brian. We were having a really nice chat. We had this whole system in place, but we only got to talk for a half an hour. And uh, then we were going to resume. And well, thing life happened and we never resumed. So here we are. And also, you know, it's, it's cool to say that Ryan was someone who, you know, I met really early on when I was doing my joke club shows, uh, maybe even before then, uh, in the early 2000s, and he went to uh, Second City Comedy College alongside uh, very talented friends of mine like Brian Barlow and Chris Locke, who has been on the podcast. And Brian and Chris had a group called The Gerg for a very long time. Uh, it's a small world, and it, it's great seeing how all the different people who started together have kind of fanned out in 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 what they're doing and and you know with ryan we 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 opine about comedy about canadian entertainment stuff we talk a lot about indigenous issues and it was just a really good time and you know it, it so settle in sit down and and i'd love to know what you think so right weekly podcast that's w-e-a-k-l-y podcast at gmail.com if you have questions about this episode another one solo episodes i want to know i want to know what you're thinking i want to know if you're enjoying this show and uh, because i require validation i am like someone who goes to a meeting that they know will amount to nothing at a uh, corporate headquarters of something. I require at least validation for my parking. So give me validation for my emotional parking. And of course, if you want to support the podcast, uh, Nick Flanagan Weekly, you can uh, go to patreon.com slash Nick Flanagan, ko-fi.com slash Nick Flanagan. If you want to throw a buck or two, there is no pressure. 
And uh, otherwise, subscribe, review, five stars, share it with friends, all that nice stuff. Tweet about it. Anything you want to do helps. And uh, check out Ryan, his website, which is, I believe it's just, I want to make sure this is right. Mm, well, he's RMC Omedy, rmcomedy.com to find it about him on his website rmcomedy.com he has a newsletter you can sign up for there too and i've got a newsletter on my website too we got newsletters check it out here's my talk with ryan my last name it's very kind of you run mcmahon run mick this is like bent in that way where it really makes it obvious i have some level of punch (laughs) is that a covid punch uh, no, it's it's perma it's a perma punch. Twenty one. It's a life punch. <laughs> life. It's a gut punch. punch. I have uh, dad punch uh, as well as depression boobs. So uh, yeah, depression boobs. I've got a little bit of that going on. Actually, it does also look like I have uh, B cups also in this. So very itty bitty titties. <laughs> Doesn't it feel like we're uh, on a radio show or something? Right yeah, but we're like the fireable jocks that are like. <laughs> yeah. We're both uh, the like third guy in the zoo, you know? Hey, that <laughs> Nicki Minaj really got me going this morning. You guys check that out. Has anyone uh, noticed uh, Adele's hair was, do you think it was appropriate? I don't know. Uh, He's so mad at her. She looked great in green and yellow. <laughs> did you like her look did you see the vmas i didn't um that's uh no i i um my teenage daughters like you know they're they're about that life but even the even i i'm grateful that they're kind of growing out of like the pop culture stuff and are they've moved into obnoxious wokeness now oh that's where I, <laughs> where I have to be like, hey, you're going to get tired. Pick your battles. You can't fight for everyone's cause. Yeah, I mean, we are living in... Uh, do you say these are like... Uh, it's kind of... I think about COVID, right? You mentioned depression boobs. And it's like uh, COVID and depression... Like, depression boobs have been in my life uh, since uh, since normal boobs were in my yeah. life. <laughs> and... Uh, yeah, so, so it's almost, I wonder, with, like, uh, indigenous people ex- watching people be woke, you're just like, yeah, like, we've had to do this for, remember Oka? Well, way before Oka, <laughs> you know, have we been woke <laughs> Rem- Remember Sir John A. MacDonald? <laughs> no, oh, you I don't. don't. Yeah, yeah, I put the statue <laughs> down, and now I have no recollection. I mean, people are like, oh, everyone's going to forget Johnny McDonald. Everyone forgets every Canadian politician from, you know, nobody's like, like, I only found out, like, I thought Mackenzie King was, like, a prime minister. I, maybe he was a prime minister. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I, I also like to, yeah, to people like you know, arguing for the, for that statue. It's like, all right, fine. You can keep the statue name five prime ministers. <laughs> and I bet you can't <laughs> pre, let's I mean, say pre-1979. Cause yeah, I mean, sure. it, like I could go, who could, who could, this is from Paul Martin, Jean Chrétien, uh, Stephen Harper, 
current prime minister who's Justin Trudeau. And let's go for a fun one here and say Joe Clark. Yeah. Okay. So you're right. So pre uh, 1982, when they repatriated the constitution, it actually became a country. Was that when we, I feel like there's all these different milestones with Canada where people go, that's when we became a country. So the repatriation, can you explain this to me? Can you explain this to me? And then oh. can you explain racism <laughs> to me? And then... <laughs> <laughs> um, no, do you want to... Uh, Let me take care of you, my white friend. <laughs> uh, should I be recording um, my thing? You can if you want. I've got recording and it, uh, you might use probably using zoom and you know it's got the two tracks zoom okay killer baby so you just so, pull it off there all right then i can relax fine. i mean if it if it craps out hey we just try for a third time so yeah. next year yeah um, uh, repatriation so up until 1982 canada was a british colony legally and didn't have its own constitution and um <clears throat> there were all these talks around, you know, what, you know, what, 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 what are the hopes and dreams of Canada? And, you know, up until 82, the queen was our mother, queen yeah. mum. Yeah. And uh, so then Canada was like, Hey, can we, can we, um, can we get out of these pampers now and like learn to walk on our own? And queen mum was like, I guess so. Yeah. She was only 89 at that time. So she was yeah, a, a sprightly at 89 years old, she made the decision to let this little country that could go uh, on the promise that uh, the Indians were eradicated. So, Oh, God. Well, it was just like uh, this, is, this was part of the project like in 1969 right. for the white paper that Jean Chrétien wrote. He was a young Indian affairs minister. And uh, him and, and uh, Trudeau, number one, uh-huh. wrote this thing called the white paper. Literally, <laughs> literally called the white paper. <laughs> and, um, yeah, I was trying to fast track the assimilation of indigenous communities and peoples and would basically um tried to set the table for uh, uh folding in indigenous people into the body politics so that you know you wouldn't get um these separate citizens these separate classes of citizens like second class citizens or no just like you know indians up to that point because of the indian act had special uh, if you want to call them rights or if you want, if you want to call them special rights, we mm-hmm. call them shitty rights um, that, you know, had to do with land and um, reserves, uh, land reserved for Indians. And, and um, in the estimation of Canada, it wasn't sustainable. And uh, yeah, they just, they just wanted to create sort of a singular monolith. Uh, and uh, of course, indigenous people were like, no, that's not the deal. Anyway, um, <laughs> because COVID, I can't do comedy. I'm now a history teacher. Yeah, well, I appreciate <laughs> learning. And, yeah. uh, you know, um, I, I, yeah, I forgot that we, just, we really did just now pick up exactly where we left off pretty much last year, or I think it was last year that we spoke. Yeah. Uh, but unfortunately, I feel, I feel like I got to get people up to speed on all, on all RM. All, Let's do it. Let's do it. Uh, I'm game. Yeah. So, so, uh, but uh, that was so nice. It was, it was funny last year. We had that really cool chat, which was our first chat probably for the first time. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, 
And then it was just like, you're so busy. You are so busy. And uh, it's good that you're so busy because uh, it turns out we'd all be stopped dead in our tracks at some point with time to reflect. So next thing you know, it's whatever year later. And here we are trying, trying one more time because we did like a half podcast before. And we were like, okay, we got to go. Yeah. Let's meet. Let's meet up like in tomorrow. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the good thing about uh, COVID is I'm no longer busy. <laughs> so, Killer. yeah, I feel like I feel like we could start like a hundred different side podcast projects where you know we've got so much time. It'd be like one side podcast project would be like let's uh ryan mcmahon um interviews comedians that dared to try zoom stand-up comedy and he shames them into admitting why it was wrong to do so and that would be- i have to actually tell you i did zoom comedy how was it for the first time like two fridays ago how was it i enjoyed it yeah I, I mean, I think it depends who you, what you're what you're dealing with here. This sure. is something called Nowhere Comedy Club, and it, I think they're a bit uh, together with it. Like they have really strict rules; they kick people out immediately if they get weird. You get mm. Paid? Um, I got paid for five minutes, you know. And also, I was like, I stream with the comedians who are also on the bill, like once a week, so. Right. We all, I felt a lot chiller doing it because of that. And then I did it. And it was like internet people watching. The kind of people you'd never see in a club. Yeah. You know, That's like, interesting. Yeah. It was. So, so, so how, how were you receiving feedback, laughs and, and whatnot? Um, I, I, I kept the mic on. I put it on this like large panel view where you can see everyone in there. And there were also people in there. There were like over 60 or 70 people in there. So That's fantastic. It was amazing. And, uh, and then they're like laughing at me and I'm watching them adjust to me. And it, I, they put me later in the lineup. So I got to see other people doing it. And uh, it, I'm so used to this kind of podcasting or being on video and uh it, it felt not like a replacement for stand-up but it yeah. felt nice to be putting my jokes out there in a style that i was like used to so I yeah say i'm open to paying zoom spots i mean i'm not doing live shows ryan I'm, i still haven't started have you no no i i haven't and i think i think first of all that's great to hear that it went well because i i did one at the beginning of may that seems like it was the exact opposite of your, your oh, I can easily see it being, um, yeah. yeah and and um it wasn't even that we had trolls or anything like bomb the show um it was just like it was just a a, a tough go for a lot of comics and and if i might be able to just project onto you for a second and you also come from like an alt comedy sort of background where in Toronto there were these fantastic rooms where people people showed up with with a a style and a I guess a a form of comedy that that was more experimental and a little bit more less tucked in and so I think there are comics that would be able to succeed with something like this where they yeah they feel like hey man I'm just I'm just out here doing 
the weird shit that I prepared for you all. And, yeah. and it's not, it's not about me like using the mic stand as a prop or needing to, you know, do anything like that. I think it kind of thinking about it now kind of cuts straight to like, look, if you're funny, you'll succeed here. And if you need work on that material, then you'll, you'll know right away. It does like open it up in a different way. And, and you know, if you need, you can do all the same tricks people talk about with stand up where it's like, you can go, oh, that was kind of a new one I tried. I guess I'll put up the pull that and you'll start to work while. And you get like a laugh from that just because people love that you acknowledge it's something that worked. You know, that's that's my whole act right now, by the way. It's <laughs> 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 so rusty. <laughs> now, well, my new act is to perform wearing a Gilligan hat. If anyone can see, I'm wearing this Gilligan hat. Yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, you know, stand up, I. I mean, I'll be honest, I also, um, it, it's one of those things where I know that people need to be entertained, mm. but I'm not really feeling, because I have so many other outlets, and maybe you're in the same boat here because you have a great deal of different projects, mm-hmm. um, I don't need to like risk going out to the park or going to a patio or even going inside, because right now, for some period of time, are you in? Toronto right now, or are you? Where are you living again? Um, oh, I I have spots in Toronto and Winnipeg. Wow. Yeah. Wow. But but. Spots? I but I will say. Like well, Rob Schneider, various homes. Who has various homes? Yeah. No. I I I my my home base being Toronto. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, it's like. I think like I don't want to risk. I, d- I also don't want to bring people into a into a a, setting. a club or something. Yeah. Um, on the risk of like someone getting sick and, um, but I you know I'm I'm sitting on a new show, a 85 minute show, and had intended to return back to stand up comedy full time in 2020. I previewed it in Calgary and Banff back in March just before everything happened and mm-hmm. I you know that's for me the the, the 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 worst part of all this is I worked really hard to get that together and was supposed to tour and um and and now looking at it like you know mm-hmm. it, it it stinks that uh that I may not get to put it up but um I don't know you know at the risk of sounding fatalist it's like do people need to hear that right now do they need to pay 25 bucks to come and see me somewhere um I, it just it feels it doesn't feel important anymore and um I, 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 that's I mean, weird i mean it definitely is interesting I'm, I'm sure you know we've been in a fever pitch for quite some time uh politically uh at least mostly because the u.s has been if i'm being perfectly honest mm-hmm. you know um I, I i wish it were, i mean i don't know more was huge all of the stuff going on in canada there's, there's um the land reclaiming in in um bc there right and and uh and that was all awesome but those I mean, and what's crazy, I do remember that. What, what, what is it? Waha, what, the name of the uh, tribe in, in BC? That, you know, oh, the Wet'suwet'en. Wet'suwet'en. And yeah. uh, what they were doing was amazing. And then COVID, if I recall, it was not that far uh, of a difference. And, and it was really, made, you know, a, 
getting more and the more and more momentum as a project um, about uh, it, it was about indigenous um, the necessity of a, not just land like true land acknowledgement like yeah this land yeah their 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 nation like their 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 claims to nationhood as they relate to that territory that is you know being bulldozed and pipelines being shoved through and even with shoddy like environmental assessments being done with the environmental assessment process being you know um changed so that these companies can get in there i mean there's all kinds of problems there and and you're right to say that this thing was like a, a snowball rolling downhill and it was getting bigger and bigger and, and not the place up to it, but, oh. uh, yeah absolutely absolutely issues yeah absolutely and and um I guess just like I don't know more, I, I think the way people are thinking about it and, and kind of working through this question is like, yeah, it's still there that that energy won't go away. Yeah, it's, it's, it's certainly different than it was then. Um, but the claims, the Wet'suwet'en claims to those, those territories um, and everything going on is, 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 is still ongoing just because the cameras leave doesn't mean things stop. And so most recently um, <clears throat> there have been suspicious fires. A couple of cabins that are along the pipe pipeline route have been burned to the ground and, you know, the elders and the trappers and people that were living in those cabins, you know, have basically said, well, yeah, the media has gone, but here's what's still happening. And that, you know, and so, you know, um, these these fights in Canada will be around for as long as the government refuses to actually sit down and um, and have the big long hard conversation with Indigenous peoples about about a, a a partnership a pathway forward that that becomes less about programs and services and more about the acknowledgement of these Indigenous nations inside of Canada. Um, and, and how to get along and, you know, political scientists and researchers and, and treaty historians and people, they know what the answers are. There are answers. And so anyone listening to this with an eye roll or a, or a sort of like a shoulder shrug, um, we should also acknowledge that there have been answers to these questions for a long time. Um, it's just getting people in a room in a, in a, in an intentional purposeful way to solve those problems, you know, um, is, is the answer. And the truth is there's no Canada is not interested <laughs> in solving these problems. Um, and, uh, and it's not to their benefit to do so. So it's going to, it's a, uh, it's going to be a long fight. Is it because of the, um, the consultation on projects that would be profitable for the country, profitable for the country. Yeah, I mean, Canada's economy is built on the resource sector, and those resources always come out of crown lands, which crown lands were lands held in trust for Indians, right? And so, like, the idea of crown land was to, to have this this shared land that, that – um, um, that was to benefit, uh, benefit all, but inside of the treaties, you know, um, 
that's who indigenous people made the deals with. That's who they made treaties with was the crown. They didn't make deals with Canada. We started out talking about 1982. 1982 is when Canada really legally becomes a country. And so when you talk to indigenous people about treaties, they say, well, the crown needs to be at the table because that's who the deals with. Mm -hmm. So Canada, this new country can't just go and change like renegotiate the treaties without renegotiating all of the stuff they're in. And, um, you know, again, it's, it's, it's one of those like, like Canadian successive Canadian governments have just closed their eyes and hope this would go away. And I think during Canada's 150th birthday, like that's when Canada really realized like, Oh shit. Like they didn't forget. <laughs> like they still they're still paying attention damn it you know they're funding the cbc who's making us now who's <laughs> like a mind, like there are things in, in in media that are paid for by the canadian government that explicitly teach us not to forget and yet they're not making any movement on it which is quite it, it's like that's the story of, of can, that that the canadian uh quandary in, in a nutshell is you know, something I've said on this podcast before, uh, the difference between the U.S. and Canada is that the U.S. will actively, aggressively harm you mm-hmm. with foreknowledge and self-righteousness often. Um, Canada will just kind of watch you wither, not water you, and watch you wither away, you know, and be they'll like, th- I don't know what to do. They'll I got throw- no clue. They'll throw rotten timbits at your head <laughs> as you starve. Yeah, exactly. And they're like, here, open your mouth, catch this. And then you, you by miracle, you catch one and it's <laughs> fucking rotten. It's, I mean, it's not funny, but at some point it almost is funny just because it feels like we are so always on the verge of, of real change. And mm. just taking that step is, is somehow difficult like taking that those and i know that's not a last step like you said people need to get in a room but you're saying people know the answer and that it winds up being a question of ideological uh what's the overton window in terms of uh indigenous stuff is so far to one side mm-hmm. we're getting it back to the idea of we need to work together we need to partner on on land discussion and and you know if 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 nothing else canadians are self conscious and mm-hmm. and the reason you know when you've done something wrong in your life uh, and you know you've you, you know something's not quite right it's really hard to admit your fault or to admit your mistake um you know and uh, for for those people that live this way when you when you get caught in a lie you can make a a, a decision you can make the lie bigger or you can cop to it. And I think what's happened in Canada is, is a mixture of a little bit of, uh, of both is that there's this weird perception that Canada is this lovely place where our national police force wears these goofy hats with these red jackets and, and r- ride around on horses and everything's okay. Well, again, I think like with the rise of indigenous storytellers, both in <clears throat> both in 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 can lit um, in film television comedy um, comics uh, um, 
we're we're hearing these counter narratives now to this what i call the the canadian settler myth which is you know if you travel around canada which you've done because of your comedy career you will see murals painted on the sides of banks right and these murals are always like these lumberjack looking dudes standing on top of logs or holding shovels or like and it tells the story of settlement it tells the story of clearing land for for this this new country called canada um, you, but you'll never see an indigenous person in the mural going like, Hey, what the fuck? I, we're, we're here. You know, yeah. That was our house, you know? Um, and, uh, and so we just have, we just have some work to do. And I, here's what I'll say. I say we are 30 or 40 years from now, they're going to write books about this time. That that's what I believe. I, th- I think that 30 or 40 years from now, we're going to look back on this time and we'll say, yeah, we, we, this is when it all changed. Cause I think it's changing. I feel it. And I yeah. feel it, you know, and I felt it in indigenous uh, presence in, uh, in, in, uh, in, you know what, ironically in, in your, in, in their own communities, like, like, like the vibrancy of the arts of self-expression People don't like to talk about it at all, but in Canada, one of the best sources of news is actually APTN, the um, the Aboriginal People's Television Network, which uh, yeah. you you work with them uh, on shows and stuff, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, and and, and um, I think it's such a valuable television station, and even their their website. I go on their website, I look at their their news that they're offering, and saying this is not. This is what people need to be reading because it's it's not you know Trail of Tears like a tearjerker like Toronto Star article just meant it's not about stirring emotions people people need to understand this is people's lives people's rights it, 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 it's uh, it's really complicated because mm. we're talking about individuals here but mm. but that's what it, that's what I found that that website really gets into in a way I and and the, the television station uh gets into yeah. and i was going to ask you actually before i got into my little aptn is good rant which is <laughs> like i could have just said it's good that's <laughs> about viewer. but uh by the way my hat's fedora style now i don't know what i'm getting into i'm not mad at it i'm not mad at it you know but um uh, uh do you have um recommendations um of people to check out in sort of uh it, it just the reason i said it was so exciting there feels like there's a new wave of um indigenous cultural expression that is very uh modern very vibrant very unafraid to uh raise the voice I and mean, different than um like say the blues musicians of the past like all, all of I mean, like all of the great contributions, uh, they've never stopped with indigenous artists, but it's, it feels like a new era. And I just was wondering if you had any sort of recommendations to people, uh, for where they can learn more about what's going on or specific artists. One, 100%. So I think you first, so first you pointed to one, I think APTN's news, if anyone listening to this podcast, uh, when it comes out or five years from now. Um, <laughs> It'll come out five years from now. It, well, yeah. <laughs> I mean, if, if, if our, uh, our fans, Nick, take a deep dive into the archive and manage to stumble across this. Yeah. Um, 
APTN News is, as you've identified, is your source for news that you won't find anywhere else. And you'll go, well, why, why can't these stories be told vis a vis the CBC or the Globe and Mail or Toronto Star? And occasionally you will, but consistently, day in and day out, from an Indigenous perspective, uh, and the and in the way that Indigenous peoples experience these events, the, the news is told. And so I would invite people to, when they're when they have questions, to dig into the website and to look at. Uh, I would say add APTN News into your Twitter stream, uh, onto yeah. your social medias, and uh, and you will you that's a great source uh, for news, for 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 sort of native pop culture stuff and and things that you want to uh, consider. Um, you can jump on the hashtag Native Twitter. Um, on Twitter, and you will find debates, fights, uh, you will find celebrations, you will find sort of all stops in between, and people using that hashtag, you know, in sort of trying to learn about these things, you will see the complexity and the nuance in, uh, in our lives there. And, and, and for those that, that do the Twitter thing, um, I, I would say, you know, to bookmark that and just just check in on it uh, intermittently because there's a lot that happens on that hashtag um and then the other source is is a project of mine that i would say is worth checking out which is called indian and cowboy which is the world's only indigenous podcast network and we just ran an incubator all summer with 10 new podcasts Um, they will be launching in october so that will bring our podcast stable up to 15 or 16 uh podcasts all separate podcast producers, all separate teams putting together different types of podcasts, everything from prison abolition to uh, book recommendations to uh, indigenous parenthood to my podcast, Red Man Laughing, which is more a arts and culture show. Um, Thank you. I mean, that was, that was where I, I, uh, I've heard a lot of interviews with people who are part of it. Yeah. Thanks. And, and the podcast network is member supported. So, you know, people can start supporting at a dollar a month if they wish, but, um, but it's, of course, it's a podcast network. So everything is free and we just want people to find those shows and, and consider those voices because again, you know, of the uh, 10 podcasts that we put into the incubator um, this summer, eight out of the 10 are being ran by indigenous women. And that's important because a, the podcast space is full of dudes, but B the people that are, are most affected by the negative consequences of the Canadian experiment is indigenous women and two spirit queer people. And so, um, you know, this past year, in Canada, we wrapped a national inquiry into missing and murdered Indigenous women and girls. Um, and, you know, they started with a number of, they thought maybe close to 800 uh, Indigenous women had gone missing or were murdered. By the end of the inquiry in the final report, they list the number close to 4,800 women. Yeah. They started counting in 1980 with the RCMP. And so, you know, at the forefront of what we do should be indigenous women. And uh, we're trying to intentionally build a podcasting space that raises the voices of indigenous women and two spirit queer people to, to sort of put them at the front of the, at the front of the line in terms of uh, being heard. And so, you know, those, those sources there will, will definitely get you, uh, will get you started. I mean, 
today um, you can go to pretty much any independent bookstore and you will find a huge number of indigenous literature and authors there. You, you'll, you'll be able to find all sorts of different uh, me from memoirs to fiction to nonfiction. Um, right now, I mean, you know, Jeremy Dutcher, who's um, an indigenous musician from the East coast, he, he won the Juno last year. Um, and he called this moment, the indigenous Renaissance. And I think that, I think that that's a fine title for this moment. Um, there are more indigenous musicians, comedians, filmmakers, documentarians, writers, journalists, uh, working than ever, uh, in mainstream spaces. And so, and Johnny Depp, and yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> today so, is, uh, like, like, do you, when people claim some level of indigenous heritage and are mocked for it, uh, because it's maybe a small part, do, how does that make you feel? Does it make you, do you agree with that? Does it, is it case to case? Do you think that there's a bit of, uh, kind of racism inherent in that? I'm, I'm interested. It's complicated. It's messy. Um, there is so much fraud out there um, with people um, uh, fronting as indigenous and, and the stakes are high. You know, the stakes are high. There's, there are people that win huge awards um, uh, in indigenous categories um, because they, they claim indigeneity. And, and there's people that you know, get tenure track positions at universities because they claim indigeneity. There's people that end up in pretty high level uh, government or industry positions because they claim indigeneity. And of course, that just creates a system of gatekeepers not connected to our community. And, um, and it's a real problem. It's a, it's a real problem. Um, what's ugly is people go, well, <laughs> You know, well, you don't look native and, and, and look at me. I mean, the first joke I ever told on CBC TV back in 2010 um, was I only got this comedy special because they thought I was white. And, and that was the most honest thing I've ever said on television. Um, and it's the elephant in the room that, of course, you know, we don't necessarily all fit a stereotype or a or a preconceived notion or idea of what indigenous people look like today. Um, but I joke, you know, that that's not my fault. <laughs> that's, that's Canada's experiment gone wrong. Like there was a horny ass Irishman that went to my great, great grandmother's wigwam and was like, Hey, you up. Um, and you know, the, she was beautiful. So you can't blame them. And, um, And, and, you know, I spent the first two years of my stand-up comedy career just, like, crying around on stage about, like, basically being self-conscious about, about being white passing and trying to explain myself and, and try to defend myself. And, and, and a character, and, right, who's uh, uh, had his uh, 
Yeah, yeah, Clarence Tutos, yeah, who who sort of got I, I got to through that character have a lot of conversations that I may not have had otherwise. Um only because, you know, um you know in in the writing as 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 you write, I there are experiences that I don't have. So I, I've never been followed around a grocery store um because I'm native. Mm-hmm. Um I, I so I don't I experience uh, racism in a very very different way than 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 others. Um, discrimination and and things like that are are a different experience for me in my life than than sort of my you know my brown relatives if you will. Mm-hmm. And so you know it's it's um it's a complicated conversation that uh, I wish Indigenous people could be less focused about and less focused on. Um, because there's so much else for us to do and there's, there's life waiting for us to live. Well, this is uh, the thing. I mean, there's no yeah. reason people, you know, it's, it's a very similar, obviously, you know, I, I, the parallel to me is always with African Americans in, in Canada. It's a, but you could go further and you could talk about, you know, Israel, Palestinians and, in Irish people, you know, it, it goes deep, but but specifically in in the modern sense in the West, that's that's where I, I would compare it, and, and it's kind of like, you know, me having to come here and be like, well, let's talk about indigenous stuff. It's like I can talk to you about anything. We can have a great conversation. The tenor, however, you know, the last time I talked to you it was after the freaking Nick Sandman bullshit, you know. Uh, this guy who's now going to become like a senator or something <laughs> just because he glared at a native dude, like uncomprehendingly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and patronizing. patronizing yeah. 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 Um, as only a missionary can. Um, yeah. Well, and here's the thing, like, I don't, um, I don't feel bad talking about these things. I mean, of course, you know, um, we, we could spend our lives, you know, trying to, ignore what's going on and 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 actually you know back when i first started stand-up comedy i got some advice from a couple of canadian pros that i really respected um and was on the road with and one of them said to me man why don't you just focus on being funny first like because i was a sketch and improv guy coming from toronto i and i didn't have a troop or anything in winnipeg i I was just trying to figure out if i was still going to be able to do this or not and um, back when I first moved here, the first thing I did was I called Brian Barlow and I asked Barlow like, Hey man, you've got the loner show. Can I create something like it in Winnipeg? Because I, I'm trying to figure out how to be funny and I only know one way right now and it's improvised and it's sketch. Um, so I created a show called comedy loser, which was a solo show, no standup, um, which is totally ripped off from Barlow, um, who, uh, who, thankfully said yeah man you know because barlow uh chris Locke and i we went to second city together in the conservatory and when they dropped out you know toronto comedy changed forever with with all of you guys coming forward and and creating laugh sabbath and and everything that happened i was so inspired by that stuff but here in winnipeg it was like it was like well shit like right now there's one comedy room um Every other Monday is an open mic. They have seven spots. You sign up and you get on or you don't. And uh, I'd never written stand-up comedy. So I I was just trying to be funny. And 
um, a lot of the stuff that I was trying to do in Toronto, I brought with me to Winnipeg and, and yeah, and some of it was more like, I guess in air quotes native. Um, and I was just trying to talk about my life. And, and one of the comics said to me, I was on the road with, he said, you know, you are funny, but, you don't have to mention being native. Like you don't look native. So I don't, we're, I'm confused by why you bring it up. Like, why do you, why just be, just write funny shit. And what he was actually saying to me was like, don't take, I guess in his estimation, don't take the cheap way out. And while I respect his opinion and, and certainly understood what he was saying, I also said, like, well, you wouldn't ever say that to Elvira Kurt. Like, hey, stop talking about uh, being in love with women. Yeah. Uh, you wouldn't say that to Ron Jossel. Hey, uh, less Filipino, more funny. Um, or Russell Peters. You know? Or Russell. Or, 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 or whomever. And, and, and that was my first inclination that this was going to be actually really hard for me to do because um, – at that time, and we're talking about 2007 and eight, when when I was first trying to write my first five minutes of stand-up, I just didn't know what to do. And there were a couple of native comics that that were working at the time, Howie Miller being one of them, um, Jerry Barrett, Don Kelly, uh, Don Bernstick, Charlie Hill. And in 2005, they recorded something called Welcome to Turtle Island, which was actually the very first native comedy special uh, ever, ever shot. And it was shot at the Winnipeg Comedy Festival on CBC. And I was in the audience that night and, and I watched uh, native comics tell jokes, talk about their lives, talk about their experiences. And, and, and it changed. Me, it changed my life forever where I thought, well, A, I can do that. And B, I have some things to say because I don't look like those guys. Yeah. You know, these guys are all big, burly, brown native guys. And, and I'm, I'm not big and brown and burly. And so, so it just, um, it opened a door to a different thing. Um, and yeah, today, you know, there are there's a there's a burgeoning native comedy scene you know there's there's people that i perform with and, and open for me from coast to coast to coast i mean i did a show in the arctic in nunavik uh inside of uh, uh this little trailer called uh, what was it called it was called uh uh something nuna nuna golf uh there's a golf simulator in the corner and then like 30 seats so you're uh, not the one who brought covid to no 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 this was okay. this was a few years ago uh <laughs> thankfully um but yeah so so you know we could yeah we could talk about that journey we could talk about lots of different things but i, I think that i today where we are in this country it's just too hard to ignore uh, what's actually happening. And I, I feel very lucky to have the opportunity to talk with folks like you who are curious, who are genuinely trying to understand it. And, and I have other conversations too with people that, that, that maybe think they're trying to understand it, but then when they get into it, they're like, nah, fuck this. This isn't for me. And it's too hard. It's too frustrating. I don't buy it. Uh, you know, I, I, it, it's a complicated time, but, I, but we're in it. We're in it. Yeah. It, it comes down to my, my sum, summary of privilege in a nutshell, which is just, 
you can walk away. You know, like that's that's what it comes down to. Male privilege, you can walk away from whatever problem women are having. Mm. Straight privilege, walk away from whatever's going on with gay people and race, racial privilege, white privilege. Yeah. Uh, you know, you are, uh, it's not optional in my view to part, to at least have, uh, take a stand, ideally the one that I have and maybe you have, mm-hmm. you know, but, but, um, for a lot of people, it is option, you know, and, and you see that in COVID behavior. I mean, the, the famous, uh, uh like yeah, the people generally I see, and this is racial profiling, maybe it's bad, but the people I see without masks, are often, you know, young white professionals types, you know, teenagers. It's, it's not across the board, you know? I mean, I, yeah. I think it would be um, silly to deny that you see, you know, sometimes lower income people without masks. You know, it doesn't, it's, it's like I'm not trying to, sometimes me without a mask, you know? <laughs> but, but like, it, it, I do feel, I remember being up in an area in, in Toronto that's tonier, tonier. And, uh, just being like nobody here is fucking and like yeah. not getting COVID cases. And my issue is that this will become an invisible killer and an accepted killer, you know, because it's not it, it's 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 on the um, it's hitting the most vulnerable who are also sometimes. In this and that, you make a really good point of like just you know being able to walk away and you know and and having certainly having different experiences because it's, it's now shown the data has shown us that yeah, COVID COVID hits the more vulnerable uh, differently. It slaps harder. And, and it's like, um, and similarly, right? Like, like what that comic was actually saying to me when he was trying to give me advice was like, you don't have to, you don't have to do it that way. You know, you, you could ignore the issues in the news. You don't have to speak to, police racism because because you don't experience it you don't have to be and and because of my privilege and because of the privilege comedy has afforded me yeah i moved into making documentaries i moved into making podcasts i moved into to other forms of storytelling because i can tell different types of stories that need to be told and so i couldn't imagine turning my back on on my responsibility because of my privilege so you know, it's, and I'm not a hero. We're not heroes for engaging in the work. Like, Nobody here uh, is a firefighter. Right. No right. one here is a, a cop who, of course, are the biggest heroes of the world. That's the horse <laughs> cops. <especially>. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah, it's just, um, and, and I think it changes, right? Like, um, uh, I have daughters. I have daughters that, I, you know, I want them to live uh, in a better country than, than it is. I want this place to change. I want it to be better. And so, um, I have the chance to affect change. I have the chance every time I'm, I'm in a, in a club or a theater or an art gallery or someone's basement, I have the chance to, to change someone's mind. And I don't mind, I don't mind doing that through this work. Hey, I hope you're enjoying my talk with Ryan. Ryan and I, oh, we loved it. We couldn't get off the darn thing. Look, this is these are this is the era of Zoom, and once we see someone we haven't seen for a while, we want to get into it. And get into it, we did. And guess what? If you want to get into the podcast further and help me continue to do the podcast uh, with ease, 
help our little crew pay our, our bills, uh, you can go to uh, ko-fi.com slash Nick Flanagan. And there you can leave a one-time or become a monthly donor and uh, the 100% of the fees go to us. If you'd rather go the Patreon route, we also have a Patreon. Patreon.com slash Nick Flanagan. Your support is always appreciated. Remember to check out Ryan's podcasts, um, Indian and Cowboy, which is his podcast network, and Red Man Laughing, which is his personal podcast. And, uh, you know, uh, support all of the things that we talked about on it from APTN to um, the movements discussed. <laughs> okay. So I'm going to go back to the podcast now. Thank you. I mean, do you think that uh, the, the thing you, you talked about, your daughter is becoming like super woke and, and what, a, what a world they're in right now mm. as, as young indigenous women, you know, with uh, the means to express themselves that, that uh, has never been afforded previous generations. Like, mm. um, but, but yeah, I don't even remember where I got there. I just got misty eye thinking about, uh, but yeah, it, it's like, um, what I meant with the super work thing that I, I was talking about is just, uh, you know, pick your battles, I think is a good suggestion because it doesn't eliminate microaggressions, if you want to call that. Uh, it doesn't eliminate macro. And I, I, I think it's all just the, the quiet chorus that is talking about nuance. Yeah. You know, and like you were talking about how complicated certain issues are. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> If we can sort out through nuance, you know, uh, how to do it, a triage type of thing, what's the most pressing? What's the, you know, and, and sometimes I see people really miss it. Like I saw a guy, uh, you know, right now on the left, there's a lot of discussion sort of about like what they call cancel culture and, and, uh, like I'm seeing some good arguments and I'm seeing some bad arguments. And I, I definitely think the idea of if someone is um, sincerely asking for like some level of redemption and taking responsibility, you know, I, I, I think we can't unhouse, like we can't, we don't, do we really want to make people homeless or something? Cause they're like put people in total isolation just, because they've done something wrong, but at the same time, if they're not safe people, then they're not safe people. Um, it's, it's, it's complicated. Yeah. It's, 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 I, I, I was just talking to someone on their podcast, um, uh, about cancel culture and comedy. And, um, and I, and I just, I just think that we, at the risk of sounding like, <laughs> Jordan Peterson or, or one of those oh, uh, those dark webbers. Juice. Uh, yeah. These these comics need to wake up and make their beds. God oh, did it. you know Ben? This guy Ben Bankus is quite hilarious. I, I have a very high IQ, but uh, I actually uh, think I, the two smartest people I've ever met are that fellow <laughs> and uh, David Rubin. They, uh, <laughs> um, look, I don't know. I don't know anything about Ben Bankus. I'm just saying he's the the Firestorm, yeah. the thing, yeah. uh, uh, firestorm of, con of non controversy seems to be surrounding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, um, I interrupted though. The no, no, Peterson, you were saying. Uh, no, I, I just it's um, 
the 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 cancel culture thing is so tough because it takes a lot of energy to be in it. Yeah. Um, and it takes you away from all the other things that you love to do or all the other things you could do. And so if we're canceling everyone that, that is a shitty comic, uh, I mean, whose job is it to go to open mics and cancel these, these people? I mean, if the government pays me to do it, I'll do it. <laughs> I go to parks. That's where they're doing shows now. Parks and patios. Yeah. And PPE mask. Yeah. Like, um, uh, you know, there's the guy who goes to concerts who works for, uh, the royalty thing and he's like writing down what songs are played or whatever. I'll, I'll be like that, except like I'll be just like <laughs> saying if they're too shit to get a you know, yeah. answer. Yeah. Um, I, I just, yeah, I, f- I feel like it takes something from us when we're focused on, when we're, we're always focused on, on the bad stuff. Now I'm going to say this, this could get me canceled even just saying it, but of of course we need to focus on the perpetrators of violence, sexual violence and, and otherwise that make our communities, comedy communities, uh, you know, real life communities, families. Um, we got to do that all needs to be dealt with. Um, but where it gets weird is like canceling people that say shit that upsets us. And and when words, when words are triggering and, and not what is actually being said, mm-hmm. that's where I go like, I don't know, it, that seems like we can do a bit better than that. And, and what I found is that we dip into this space where just the words themselves are, are too hard to hear and, mm-hmm. and, and not the ideas. And so I feel like, I feel like, um, the best way to cancel comics uh, <laughs> that are bad at their jobs is to not laugh or not go see them. Yeah. Uh, and this is um, Canada. yeah, it's, it's people, like people go see bad stuff all the time. I know. I know. Uh, I mean, I w- yeah. Sorry. Go on. No, I just, I just, um, yeah, it's, it's, uh, and it's not that, you know, there's a, like been, a huge influx in, in, uh, canceling shitty stand-up comics. It's the yeah. p- folks that have had to face, face the consequences of their actions yeah. are facing, yeah. Facing consequences of their actions. So, um, yeah, it's complicated. Like Chappelle, right? Like Chappelle is someone that, Great example. uh, is, I think is better than he's being. Um, and, but I don't think he's being, obtuse i don't think he's doing it on purpose i think he hasn't done the work and that's the most frustrating thing is because he has the resources he certainly has the time he has uh people around him i suppose that could help him understand why people are angry with his takes Mm -hmm. on the trans community and he either hasn't done that work or he doesn't give a fuck and either way it's disappointing yeah Um, and I happen to be a, a huge Chappelle fan. Me so, too. Yeah. yeah. And, and I, I would tend to agree with you. And, and I've, again, I've said, said this before on the podcast, but I think it's, it's kind of the same mentality that told you, oh, well, you'll be more, you'll have more cred if you like, don't have, like, don't rely on racial identity, which by the way, you talk about privilege, like, well, that's been used against black comedians. Every black comedian talks about the difference between black and white people. 
female comedians, they don't talk about their periods. Like this is all stuff you hear. So it's kind of, it's kind of like saying, don't give yourself an advantage over me. And it's kind of like, well, I, I, and I do see comedy now in a more kind of generally pandering state than it's ever been left, right, whatever you want to call it. It's all about getting an audience by, um, sometimes superficial relatability, but, um, about Chappelle specifically, I just think he's got the mind, he's got like one of the best minds in comedy of all time. And, but he approaches it a lot like, uh, and the same way I think Louis C.K. did for a time, which is just what I will say something that you cannot say, and I will prove like I will be able to say it. I will find a way. And that's why that thing is called sticks and stones. The idea is that everything he's saying is actually, you know, um, not the problem, you know? And, and, um, uh, but it's kind of in terms of the trans stuff, it's, you know, because I think it's ignoring, um, the history, uh, and not just the history, but the very present, um, threat that trans people are under, which ironically Jordan Peterson is, uh, you know, one of the people who is like, uh, kicked it into, helped, helped kick it into high gear. Certainly not the thing. Yeah. Yeah. It's non, it's non-negotiable. Like, uh, those, those, and, and there are certainly, um, there are threats against specific communities where it, it, it should be non-negotiable. It's, it's not up for debate anymore. Um, and, and those of us that are able to raise our voice in that way to hold other comics accountable, um, need, need to do so. I, I, uh, was called out by the trans community while I was on tour in, I think it was 2015 or 16. And, um, and and my closer, my 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 closer, had to do with me dressing up um, and playing with my daughters and playing princess tag, and um, and uh, ending up in a in a woman's bathing suit, and uh, the Manitoba hydro guy comes and rings the doorbell. He wants to read the meter in the basement, and he sees me dressed in a woman's maternity bathing suit, and. Um, his response, of course, is that there's there's a trans person in the house, and and uh, anyway, it was a joke that I I worked on for about seven months, and near the end of it, when I was getting it ready to record it, um, that's when I I flipped I flipped the end into me being in a bathing suit, and you know, it was my closer, so it was the one that I sent everyone home on. Um, it's the one that got the applause break and then an out. Um, I had three strong tags that kept that uproarious laughter at the end of, of 75 minutes. And, um, and in Toronto, actually, um, uh, half a dozen audience members came up to me after the show, a couple in tears that said, you know, you had us for 73 minutes. Um, and those last two minutes were hell for us. Yeah. And here's, here's why. And it was explained to me. And, and of course, because, because I'm not a part of the trans community and, um, and hadn't heard it put in the way that they put it for me. Um, they told me why those, that joke was hurtful. And, and then I decided, 
or I had to decide, well, was this, was this joke worth fighting for? Was that punchline worth fighting for? No, it wasn't. Mm-hmm. It absolutely wasn't. And, um, and I didn't tell the joke that way anymore. And um, being held accountable as comics, I think, is just is, is tricky, first of all, for comics. Uh, I, I know a lot of comics want to puff out their chests and say, we don't give a fuck what the audience says. These citizens don't know how to do our job. Um, and while I agree with that for the most part, I think that we do have a responsibility um, to ensure that we're not hurting people uh, when we're doing our jobs. And, and, um, and that becomes a tricky, a tricky dance, you know, it becomes a really tricky dance. I mean, it's like, you know, one of the other takes that I had on this Andrew does clay. For some reason, I'm so into going to bat for Andrew does clay to, to an extent. And it's just because I think initially what he was doing was uh, making a fool of himself very, very visibly. But it caught on so much and it caught on with Long Island types, you know, Jersey type. And so there became this kind of pride behind it. And then next thing you know, he's selling out like arenas telling racist jokes and um and i'd be so so i think that that's an issue and it's good that you dealt with it when you did because for all you know like that could have been something that you were like no i get good responses for this and it's it's just uh, i'm living my truth and you know you, a lot of people operate by what the market dictates and and um you know, I think, I think that that's, uh, like you said, it's tricky. And, and because I was doing a lot of stuff that was maybe on paper, uh, like pretty offensive, but I, my, this is when I was first starting and I was like, in my mind, I was just like, well, this is like satire. This is something that is trying to make a point. And then now looking back, I go, well, what did I know? What, <laughs> what kind yeah. of, like, like, is it going to hurt more anyway to hear my point and I'm not solving anything and I have less experience with this than the person who's upset by it? Mm. So, like, and look, you could do it for a while and you might get some funny jokes out of it, but it's like, stop. <laughs> you, you've, you, you know, the, the rope has started to get thin and you've got to jump off the mountain while, you, while the mattress is still and I, I guess it comes in waves, right? Like there's comics like there's comics like that are in different I guess different spectrums than than I'm in. And meaning that, you know, they're more successful, they sell more tickets, they 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 tour internationally, et cetera. The depression boobs are, are smaller or larger. Right. <laughs> right. Um and and I guess it it. I I, ha- I really do have that question. Like I have that question about like how other comics work and write because yeah, there's targets, there's things I see and I'm like, I'm, I'm going in on that. And then I kind of, you know, make some sketches with a pencil on a paper and I'm like, I don't know, this isn't for me to talk about, but I, I really struggle with that because I try to, I tried to present good ideas on stage. I try to dance with the bad ideas as much as possible. Where the danger is, is really where I get excited about writing. Um, but yeah, I really, I wonder, like the last time I went to Just for Laughs to do Homegrown, 
you know, I think the like Mark Forward was the host, and he of course he's hilarious. Like he's he's really strong. And he goes in and hosts, and then you know the first four comics in the Homegrown were just like doing jokes about smoking weeds with their cats, and I'm like I don't know like, and they killed. Yeah, they they fucking killed. And I was like, I don't know. I I guess I'm. I don't know how to write that. I don't know how to not write from my experience, my lived experience. And um, that's, that's good. It's a weird, yeah, it's a weird, I, I guess it's just that uh, it's a, it's a, it's, it was a choice that I, I unconsciously made, but now have gone too far to stray away from, I suppose. Um, I mean, I think, I think that that's what this situation where it has opened up to me. I was talking about, you know, not being crazy about doing live shows right now because well, I have other outlets. If I'm being frank, you know, comedy was not the number one moneymaker anyway. And like, if it's your livelihood, I get why you're trying to get in within this one and a half month period of stage three in Toronto where things are open and you're like, well, maybe I can make some money. Like, I mean, I don't necessarily, I don't judge you for it, you know? Right. And, uh, but for me, because that's not the truth of it, and I can express myself, like, by having an awesome conversation with you for, like, an hour and a half or mm-hmm. and whatever. Uh, and by the way, if you need to go, just the safe word is, I need to go. Oh, and, <laughs> no, I'm good. Uh, you know, so, so um, I, I think that on the other hand, like, since coming back from Los Angeles, I've just felt a lot more interested in opening up what it is that I can do as a solo performer, as a stand-up, and while still calling it that, or not, you know? Like, it's... Mm. And, and um, I move so slow that I still haven't figured out exactly what, what that is, but, like, that's what's interesting to me now, and, and I'm trying to avoid the pitfall of going yeah, I think stand-up is, like, kind of dead, even though, like, in the heart of hearts, something's happening. Like, yeah. yeah. But, uh, yeah. you know, um, I, I, I really just, uh, I, I want everyone to kind of open their minds in that sense. You see so many stand-ups who have expanded what they're doing. Someone like Duncan Trussell or, or Russell Brand or, uh, I mean, the, the list goes on and on. A lot of your favorite podcasters, one of the reasons they still do stand-up is because of the, the money factor, you know, because yeah. what would you rather do? Just be chatting with your buddy in your room, you know, or, in a, you know, in a, in a room together, like, or, yeah. or, or be, you know, touring. Like, I guess some people want to be touring, but it just feels like sometimes like you get on that, they get on the running wheel and it's just like, they can't get off stand up wise, but podcasts are just so open sometimes that it seems like that would be more well, it's it's interesting, and I'd be inter- I'm going to flip this interview back on you now because I think yeah, you've got a lot to share in this way. It, I think stand up comedy has really changed, and and I think right now we might be in a golden age of it. Like we might there's there's so many good comics right now, and they're drawing audiences because of their podcasts and because they've built their audiences a bit differently. Um, now they can fill those sort of middle-sized rooms. They're not doing 150-seat small clubs that no one's heard of. They're, they're, they're doing 
really good rooms. Yeah. Um, in what way do you think it's changed and, and why? Like, it's, it seems to me that stand-up comics mm-hmm. from Canada would go to LA mm-hmm. to hope to get on a show, to get to, to write. Mm-hmm. Um, and there will probably always be an exodus of people going to try to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, is that still the goal for comics in Canada, uh, given the change landscape of, of the way things are going? I think that for a lot of comedians of like my age, like 30 plus, you know, um, that is still the goal. I think that anyone younger than that knows of the options uh, to live stream or even be like a video game. Uh, YouTuber on, or on Twitch where it's a podcast and they know how to um, there's a lot of people who would have even and, and then for the stand-ups I mean ultimately I do think that up until COVID LA was still a really big thing because we just mm. the only ways unless you have a podcast that's really big like really big you know or maybe grand driven like uh, to make a living um, is very difficult. Like people have maybe Dungeons and Dragons podcasts or these, these Canadian podcasts are big, but a lot of times there's like five people, six people behind it. So even if they're bringing in like $3,000 a month or something, it's, what does that even out to for 40 grand? You know? right. and so so um, I, I think that LA has been, remains a goal for people. But I, I, I definitely feel like there is more of a hunger than ever uh, to, like, not leave, and to make something of it. Like, one of the uh, – here, like, I, I love that Mark Little, who is just such a great comic, you know, he kind of made an express decision to stay here. And even Chris Locke, I think, who, who you know, has a family, much like you, maybe that was a big part of it, you know, is just, like – you have kids it changes things and he's remained in canada and and he does have have an audience you know and so so does mark little and and um uh i'll be recurred as well as someone you mentioned who has that and um and now with covid man i really don't know what's going to happen like i told somebody that i thought it would decentralize you know um comedy and he was like, well, you know, people are, I think, just, they want things and they're sort of trying to will them to happen. And I was like, well, yeah, but what's, what else is going to happen? Like, there was yeah, just, yeah. I, I, there were, I, would do, I skipped a live audition today because, you know, I knew I'd be kind of seeing my mom and I didn't really want to put her in any kind of risk. And then today I read an article about like in LA, a crew member on a commercial died of COVID. So it's it's like, we want the film industry to come back. We want the commercial industry to come back. That's going to be a huge challenge into itself. And then our live show is just going to be patios and drive-ins and this kind of thing, because that's going to fundamentally change what comedy um, survives. Like, I don't think I can do outdoor shows as easily. You know, I don't, I I, I don't know, but I, I don't feel that confident in it. Like part of it is maybe like zoom, where like I just need to jump in and do it. But I, right now I, I just want to keep numbers down in the city, you know? So, yeah. so yeah. Um, yeah. 
I, I did a I did an improv show with the Sunday service from Vancouver cool. and they did a herald over uh over Zoom and it was brilliant. And they've you know, they've managed to so you take yourself on and off camera when you're gonna enter a scene. Um all of the herald structure is there on Zoom and I was like, This works. This this works. I won't go to a park and do a herald. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, like- um, so yeah, I think I think the decentralization thing is really interesting, but I, I, you touched on a few things that I just want to kind of respond to. First, the fact that Locke and Mark Little and a few others are still here. Anne Smith and, is coming back here, and she's not even Canadian by birth. Right, right, <laughs> and she's amazing. You know, but the but the fact that these SVODs or the CBC or whomever else isn't throwing money at the feet of these people so they can stay here and just go like, y'all are the most creative people in this country. Uh, Do what you want. Send it to us in six months, please. Um, Like, I just feel like now might be the time where some risks are actually taken, especially with, with things like CBC gem and others that have budgets, um, I think now's the time to take that risk and let these people see what they can do. Um, I, I 100% agree with you. I mean, right now, the only thing, sorry, did, I didn't mean to interrupt you. Admit that. No, 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 no. I just, that's all I wanted. Like, I, as I was thinking about it, like, I, I was like, yeah, like, now's the time. Like, now, and, and they don't have to be uh, five seasons of something. Let Chris Locke do six episodes of something he wants to do. Let someone make, little- I may destroy you, you know, yeah. like, like yeah. Some, some version of that. And, you know, let somebody, um, let's, let's really get out of the box in terms of Canadians. Like, let's not like, let us never say Bruno Gerussi's name ever. No, I'm just kidding. I love Bruno Gerussi, <laughs> but I love Gerussi. <laughs> but, you know, uh, I, I think that that we just have an issue here where, and and I mean, not to bring up indigenous issues again, but I've I've always gotten a sense that the the divide between tribal elders sometimes and 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 like the the, the young people, there is a divide, you know, and yeah. and, and um, because it's the same story all around in Canada, people get a job, they keep the job forever, they don't want to lose their position. And then unless they, you know, are John Gameshi, they um, stick around, you know, and, and, and yeah. everyone else has to find a new lane. And if you don't, you're, you're hitchhiking, which I yeah. think for a while. Thumbs up. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's because, and I'm, I'm definitely more focused on trying to turn this moment into into something usable into, into like, well, what, what are the, so there's a bunch of things we can't do. So I'm, I've shot my documentary series for CBC gem most of the summer and we had to cut our crew from 10 to four. Um, so all of us are doing three or four jobs and um, you know, there's like extreme measures taken to keep everyone safe, but um, we're only doing that because we're a small crew that can sort of pivot and we're doing documentary. And so what I know to be true for sure in this country is these streaming platforms are dead in the water unless they respond quickly. Like there hasn't been new shit put onto these into Crave or Netflix for six months. And 
it, you know, this is the this is the opportunity that we have. And I always find the creativity and the innovation generally comes from the comedy community. And, um, you know, at the risk of embarrassing myself and sounding old, uh, again, like back in the mid 2000s, when Laugh Sabbath was around, that completely transformed Toronto comedy forever. Because what people don't talk about uh, is how before that, these communities were so siloed. There was an improv community, theater sports. Mm -hmm. There was barely a sketch community. Um, and then there was a stand-up community and those three communities didn't talk. Yeah. But, but when it came together and when comics were like, well, fuck that. Like we're, this is just a funny show. How about you, you just come here and be funny with whatever you're doing. That type of innovation I feel like is needed again here. And I know people are on Twitch and I know there's, there's, there's some stuff happening, but we can't depend on comics to, to bankroll these things themselves when there, there, there's resource out there and we just need people taking those risks. I mean, that's uh, you know, funny you on these comics. That. Yeah. Like, like the first the joke club show I did, which, you know, right. A long time ago at the Drake hotel, that was a show where, you know, unlike people who were in improv and sketch, like I was, I was in the thick of like bad, like, like rough open mics, trying to get on the book rooms, you know, and, and meeting a lot of different comics of a lot of styles. And, and so the first show I did was like all the nominees for what was the Tim Sims, which was kind of an up and coming awards uh, show. So it was like, uh, improv from Graham Wagner and Becky Johnson and yep. Graham from Casey Arthur was probably on it. And, you know, it was a mix. Oh man. Of, it's so nice to hear those names again. Well, Casey, you know. well just cause I've been gone for so long and like, yeah, I forgot some of those. That's so great. Katie. Yeah. Wow. And, um, that's cool. Yeah. So, so like, I appreciate what you're saying. That's awesome. I mean, frankly, it sounds like the amount of stuff you're doing is, is really just, it's like such a Canadian story. Like you, you've done so much different stuff. And yet, you know, like the Canadian media would rather talk about that Ed the Sock did something weird, you know? And meanwhile, it's like, you know, how, how often outside of APTN is Indigenous comedy really, or maybe the Winnipeg Comedy Festival, you know, covered in, in, an, in an in-depth way. And, and I think, I think that, uh, another thing on top of, uh, you know, a change in what people are willing, you know, who, who's getting shows, who's getting a shot is a change in, in coverage and, and, and trying to find enthusiastic, critical voices. That are well, how about, th how about this? Uh, this past October, I was on the CBC during election night. Like I, <laughs> wrap your head around this i was on a panel wow. on the cbc during our, our nation's election and um last summer when when i got the call from cbc news i thought i was being punked i was in my boat on a river and, and i'm like yeah fuck off i don't know who this is but <laughs> stop calling me you know and I get an email from a CBC producer. Uh, you just told me to fuck off on the, on the phone. <laughs> I was like, why are you calling me? Why, why is this an option? Uh, 
I'm a, I'm a, I'm a comedian who yes, is engaged in like the conversation and I, I'm on Twitter and I, you know, I do some other things, but um, I, I realized after doing it, first of all, you know, there's like 4 million people that watch that thing. My website, like people are like, well, who the fuck's this guy? So my website searches are just like through the roof, right? Uh, my podcast gets a little spike, uh, but that's it. There's no rub. There's no like benefit. Yeah. I wasn't paid to do it. There's no benefit to me to do it. Um, but but that, that's when I realized like, oh, I, I've now filled the role of being the angry native guy that'll go on TV and say, fuck. Right. And, but they don't want to give me a meeting. They don't want me to pitch. Yeah. They don't want to know about the three sitcom premises I've been sitting on. They don't want to know about the one that went into development back in 2008, nine and 10, the option lapsed. And now I still have in my hands and it's funny and relevant and everything else. They don't want that. They want me to be the angry native comic that says fuck on TV to upset the white folks, but they're not interested in actually seeing what else I'm doing. And so yeah. that, that moment was like, and I tweeted this and I, I just said like uh, during, during black lives matter and, and when the conversation steered itself to indigenous uh, lives matter, uh, which I, I'm not comfortable calling it that by the way. Um, Why is that? Well, it just co-ops black lives matter. And I just think that black lives matter needs its own space and, if indigenous lives matter needs to be a conversation we can have, I don't think it needs to come at the expense of black lives matter. Mm. Um, and, uh, I think that of course we should be talking about it, violence experienced by indigenous people, but I don't, again, I, yeah, I don't think we need to do it at the expense of a whole movement. Very interesting. I, I, yeah. I never thought about, I, I, my take on it was a little different in Canada because I just thought, well, you know, to me, like, you were saying, you know, the indigenous female, but females also, but especially females are, um, you know, the almost equivalent of like black males in, in, in U.S. society in that they're under like grave threat, uh, you know, right. a lot of the time. And, and um, however, you know, and then on top of that, there's mental health stuff with the cops, you know, that I think is really needs to be dealt with. And I'd love to say that transcends race, but the reality is it doesn't. Because all a lot of the people who have mental health issues and um, wind up dead are people of color. So, right. but, but you know, like, and also, I just think it's like, well, when will we have this conversation? Like, let's let's get a clown car going here. It's just, just like, you know, it's kind of like when you try to close the door uh, on an elevator and then one person gets in and then they're like, okay, press the button, press close, now another person gets in and everyone's got to go to the penthouse, man. Well, it's you know, interesting because that's, that's definitely how it feels. Yeah, you know? like, I don't want anyone to have to wait anymore. It's been too long, you know? Yeah, yeah. And I, you know, I, I just... I, I, I'm an optimist and I, and I, I haven't always been. And for anyone that's listened to my podcast or followed my work, you know how angry I am. And so I'm not trying to sound like Barack Obama where you could be the change you want to see in the world. I, I don't believe that at all, but, but I do think I really, really honestly do think that especially we were talking about with Sudan earlier, when you look at the protests that were happening in Vancouver and Toronto and other cities, there were so many allies out there 
people from other communities, non-Indigenous people that were going like, yeah, I'm pissed off too. And, mm-hmm. and if only this country would, would, would stop and realize that the sooner this gets dealt with, the quicker we all get to move on. And maybe like, we'll be maybe, less self-conscious. Maybe that's maybe like, inherent. This is how this is how Chris Locke will get a show. Is, uh, <laughs> we have to yeah, solve it. He does have issues. something in development with, with uh, Jessica Holmes. I'm glad, but oh, that's uh, great. You know, yeah, that's great. Um, okay, the last thing um, I want to ask yeah. you about is the documentary. So, do you want to talk to me a little bit about this documentary you're working on? And and if you want to talk about other stuff. Oh yeah, no, it's uh, it's called Stories from Land. It's a uh, it's a CBC Jam documentary series. Uh, we have a broadcast date, but I don't know that I'm allowed to share it. It's it, but it's next month, <laughs> in, the, in, in the first week of next month. Uh, and um, yeah, it's called Stories from the Land. It's uh, it started as a podcast series back in 2016. It was a it was a sh- live show that I toured across Canada. We did 36 stops in 36 cities. Um, and it was just a chance for indigenous people to engage in live storytelling as a means of reconciliation. And so, um, it was all connected. We called it stories from the land because we wanted the land to sort of be the inspiration for the stories. And so very purposely putting land forward as, as a means to reconciliation was sort of the overt political idea behind the project. And what I found on tour was just, you know, we announced the tour. Um, we had 90-something communities say, hey, come over here. And that's when I knew we had something really good. Um, and I love live storytelling. I love the tradition of live storytelling uh, or stand-up comedy, uh, as, it, as it were. Um, and I wanted to put people in a room to hear, these, to hear each other talk. And, um, and the project grew from there. Um, and uh, slowly went through different phases and different iterations. And we finally landed on this documentary um, uh, format. And so, um, yeah, it gives people that will watch the series a chance to consider stories and voices that you may not have heard otherwise. And, Are there specific um, um, yeah. touchstones um, in Indigenous storytelling styles? I mean, I understand that we're talking about, like, Cultural, but I, I mean more yeah. Like, yeah, in the style of storytelling, is there a certain yeah. way to go about it? Yeah, so what I have learned, um, so first and foremost, what I learned on the tour was, you know, offering protocol or asking permission from Indigenous communities to come in and to host these events. What I learned was that offering protocol didn't give me the right to engage in the project. It gave me the possibility. And I think that that's a really important um, delineation there because, and, and why I make it is because, you know, storytelling is so personal and so powerful that for a lot of indigenous communities and indigenous nations, there are certain times a year that you tell stories. There are certain ways you engage with storytelling, ceremonial storytelling, social storytelling, storytelling through song, through dance. Um, and, and, and there's different people that are responsible for that in communities. And so, you know, it can also be as simple as, Hey bro, tell me a story. And they sit you on a log and then they tell you a story. Mm-hmm. So, so I really, I really learned a lot about accessing stories and what it means to be in relationship with indigenous communities and their stories. And I think that the great offering of indigenous storytelling to Canada and to Canadians as a whole is that 
it, it builds a doorway for people to walk through. And, and you, you walk through that door and you check out the room and some people will like the way the room's painted and other people will go, I wouldn't have picked that color. And some people will sit down in the room and some people won't bother walking in. And so that offer of the story is, I think, really generous and profound and, and beautiful. And so that's what we're hoping to capture in the documentary series. And, um, and yeah, we, we recorded it under COVID. So we definitely didn't get the series that we wanted to make in the can for that reason. COVID really complicated things. Um, we worked with a very small crew. We had to work very quickly. How did you pivot? Like, what did you guys decide to do? You know, did you just go, we'll have a small crew? And when you say work very quickly, what do you mean? Yeah. So, so, you know, the budgets being what they were, what we were trying to do, um, uh, what we were trying to do with a larger crew was sort of more of a, like a blue chip Netflix style bingeable watch. Um, and what I think we might end up getting here is more of a CBC style straight up documentary. Um, which which is it's going to be great i'm i'm very proud of it uh, it's it it's the fact that we were able to pull it off with a crew, a small crew of four people um th- you know there were things like uh every person on the crew had to have their own station on location so you know we had to set up tables full of ppe and hand sanitizer and the the a and b camera operators couldn't share lenses uh so in order to get a shot you had to you, you, a famous saying on set was you get what you get, you don't get upset. And um, these things were complicated to do anyway. That's a good Tinder byline. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Try it. Let me know how it goes. I can't. I'm in a me neither. But uh, me I'll, neither. I'll get some poor guinea pig. To yeah. Try. <laughs> Anyone, any listeners listening, let us know how that goes. Yes, if a listener does that, I'll give you a free uh, uh, cut of one of the plants in my house. Yeah, I'll, I'll give you, I'll pull a book off my shelf and send it to you. There's lots of good books. So. <laughs> okay, well, that's, that's killer. Yeah. I'll hold yeah. you to that. Um, well, you know, congratulations on everything. That's, this is amazing, and it's been great talking to you. And, um, I'm happy to talk to you in the future if you have anything you want to talk about. It sounds like we've got lots to we can go over. It's just never yeah, been. man. This was this this uh, this time went by too fast, and yeah, yeah I'm yeah. glad that we uh, revisited the conversation. The first one we had was really fun, and, yeah, and uh, and yeah, I mean, I just I just yeah, I have a lot of respect for you. I listen to your podcast anyway, so to be honest, yeah. is pretty cool, and um, yeah, man, keep up the good work. And if I don't see you in a park doing improv with the black chipmunks in Toronto. Maybe I'll see you at a coffee shop at a later date. And that was it. And that was it. And that was it. My podcast guest, Ryan McMahon. Thank you so much. Oh, what a pleasure. He can come onto my webcam anytime he wants. That didn't sound right. It's fine. So yeah, rmcomedy.com, rmcomedy.com. That's his Twitter handle as well. And uh, be sure to check out his podcast, Indian and Cowboy. That's his podcast network. So you can hear about all of the different podcasts he uh, is hosting there. And when I say hosting, I don't mean he is the host of the podcast. I mean the bandwidth. He's the bandwidth host. 
And also he does host the Red Man Laughing Podcast. And uh, you really should should dig deep into the world of indigenous artists. I am not anywhere near well-versed enough, but um, from what I have checked out, I'm really excited by it. So I hope you are feeling nice, refreshed, relaxed, ready for bed, ready for your day, ready to continue into the next moment. Uh, be sure to write the podcast, weeklypodcast at gmail.com. Say hi. We're uh, Nick Flanagan Weekly on Instagram, Nick Flan Weekly on Twitter. And, uh, you know, subscribing, telling friends really helps. Thanks so much. I'll see you on the flip side. Oh, man. Nick. Flanagan Weekly Nick Flanagan Weekly